Okay, let's begin. I am Lanice Antoine Shelley, and I'll be your host through constructive, healing-based conversations designed to illuminate the adoptee, parents, and the adoption curious. We center the topics around community, mentorship, leadership, and healing, so you get a multi-dimensional view that is ultimately empowering. These are the voices who could not speak when they were young. Okay, before we get into it, I wanted to share with you some new offerings. We've just partnered with Isaac Edder's company called Identity, who provides adoption consulting and short practical guide pamphlets, a practical guide to transracial adoption and a practical guide to black hair care. As a listener, you get 15% off. Just click the link in the show notes where you can find all references and hot topics that are talked about in each episode. And since you're listening, I just wanted to thank those of you who've rated and reviewed this podcast, because every five-star click helps remind these platforms that our work matters and helps me keep going. So those of you who are getting so much out of these conversations and have taken the 30 seconds to write a positive takeaway, I see you and I thank you. Those who haven't yet, now is the time, my love. Let's talk about it on Instagram after you go ahead and click five stars and write a review. Hey fam, how are you? How is your heart? I feel a sense of equanimity today. Things have settled down at work and my beach life is strong. So that makes me very, very happy. And I'm hearing more and more from folks who want to support the podcast. They reach out to me on my website or Instagram, DMs, all of it. And I always tell them that writing an iTunes review is the best support of all because it shows the great podcast world that this is indeed a must-listen podcast. And it helps the algorithms know that people need this podcast so it becomes easily searchable. Along with writing an iTunes review, a five-star review, hopefully, you can also share an episode that resonates with a friend or family member and have them review it as well. But that is seriously it, my friends. The gift of an iTunes review makes all the difference and the best way to show your love for this work. So thank you in advance. All right, as promised, Dr. Charmaine Borda and Dr. Juliana Olson-Deans are here to unpack the grieving process of the death of a biological family member. I lost my grandmother and my aunt, Juliana, Dr. Juliana Deans, lost her mother about a month ago. I'm sure you're all aware of the five steps of grieving, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. There's no order to these, really, as healing is nonlinear. It's natural to jump from one to another and then back again, which is what you'll hear is our individual processes. 
I have to tell you that this past year of getting to know these emotionally genius powerhouses has been a pivotal part of my expansion. They both graced my podcast in the last season in episodes 7 and 21. I'm deeply grateful that they have returned yet again to impart wisdom and sistership. We asked Dr. Charmaine Borda to interview us because she's a close friend of Juliana's, and I have loved getting to know her this past year. Both of these women are adoptees who work as clinical psychologists in the world. They have a beautifully three-dimensional, multi-dimensional view of the trauma, truth, and the healing that encases adoption. This is an interview led by Dr. Charmaine Borda. And my biological aunt, Dr. Juliana Deans, is here to share this processing experience with me. Let's take a listen. Borda, you can ask me anything. Oh. An open book. I feel, you know? I feel a bit ner- I feel a bit nervous. I'm like, whew, this is a lot. You you know, I, I, yeah. No, a you a lot of responsibility, Deans and Lanise. Thanks. Guys. We gave it to a person who we knew who could handle. You know? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how we get through it. I'm like, I'm like channeling Lanisa's voice on this, trying to, you know, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Hilarious. Stop it. You, <laughs> uh, as soon as Juliana came to me with the idea, I was like, of course. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh my God. It made a lot of sense, right? If anyone uh-huh. could pull it off, it'd be you. So, uh, well, thank you for that. That guys, this is a very sacred conversation. Yeah. Sacred. So, well, good afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon. <laughs> afternoon. Good afternoon. You know, Lenise and I have been going back and forth. Well, we had gone back and forth about the time zones, and I'm so bad at that. I'm like, okay, Lenise's time is two, and my time is three, and I go back. But and. She's been- Juliana's time is what? It's one. Oh, it's two it's hours. One. It's one. Yeah. Is it, is it one, one hour? No, it's two hours from you, Charmaine. And then it's okay. Yeah. So we're coordinating yeah. in three different time zones. Yes. And we did Great. it. And we did it. We did, <laughs> we did it. it. Wonderful. Yeah. So I was talking about my headspace, but where's your headspace, heart space today in this? Because as I was thinking about our conversation, I looked at the date. And I realized that this day is almost exactly to the day when you found out that your mom had passed. So it's, it's interesting that you asked me that Mm -hmm. because next week is my birthday and you know, like, yeah, I celebrate June and Gemini season. So the entirety. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Excited about that. But earlier today I was just, really thinking about how um, I miss my mom. And this is the first thing that came to my mind when you asked me the question, where is my, where's my headspace? First thing that came to my mind is I feel disjointed because that's Mm. how morning. So the reason why is my mom and I had such a unique connection, you know, like we had like that soul connection, you Mm -hmm. know? And, um, almost like a soulmate, soul ties. I, I don't know what the correct term is, but we have soul connection. And when I found out, I've been feeling a little bit disconnected, a little bit lost because mm. I don't feel, 
I only feel that connection with maybe one other person who's currently, you know, and that's like a work in progress type of thing. Um, So earlier this morning, I was just thinking about how I feel like those twins, you know, that um, when they're born together, attached. Yeah. I've always felt emotionally attached to my mom. So it's that cancer that they cut out. And I just Mm. feel like um, a piece of me is cut out. And even when I pray, I, I mean, it's, it's very unique because my prayers feel deeper and I feel like maybe that's some sort of a blessing I got from her because that was her strength. I, I was thinking that because when you and I talked, one of the things you said to me was, you know, my mom used to always pray. I knew that wherever I was, she was praying for me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we share in common. I don't know if you know this, that my mom, my bio mom, also when I came here, that was our thing. That was our language. You know, when other people would listen, they wouldn't understand like the scriptures that she would say, mm-hmm. you know, you hear my voice or she thought I was feeling a little anxious or scared. She would say, read scripture this or scripture that. And when uh, you and I spoke, when your mom had passed, your bio mom passed, I thought, wow, you are such, uh, you show up so beautifully for me and for other people through prayer and just the spirit that you're guided so deeply mm-hmm. and discerning when people are in trouble or need you or need us a word. And when you said that, I thought, automatically that she her spirit and her essence is still with you in your heart and and it's sort of like a passing the mantle of that yeah, and I and I don't feel it like I, I don't honestly I feel more disconnected mm. like disjointed but again when I pray I'm like whoa my prayers seem more rich than they used to absolutely even so, this week even this yeah. week you- yeah, when I prayed with you. Immediately, Lenise, <laughs> she called me out of, you know, not out of the blue. Dean's usually calls me and it seems like out of the blue, but I had been preparing for a conversation with my own daughter and I was telling her how I was feeling. And she said, whatever agenda she called for, whatever thing she was thinking about, she said, well, then it's, we need to pray. And she went in right into this prayer and I immediately started to feel release and repair and I don't know where that gifting comes from. And it's interesting to me that you don't see it. You don't feel it. Yeah, I think it's just because probably part of me just still wishes that she was alive. You know, like that whole, I can call you when I want you type of thing. Mm. And um, and since she's not, we just had that connection. That's the best way I can explain it. I just feel like my mojo is not the same. I'm still happy. I'm still joyful. Yeah. I used to be able to be almost in anywhere. And you know how people would say, find your center? Yeah. Always part of my center. Hey, I want to share with you something that has changed my life. It's more like someone, my therapist, Why is she so important? Well, because I want to win in this life. I want to break through the carousel of stories I've compiled that hold me back, that keep me from expanding into my full potentiality. Stories of unworthiness, not enoughness, and even stories of questioning why I am here. 
I also want to stop dumping my unsorted feelings on the people around me and reacting with the same behavioral patterns that keep me stuck. Conversations with my therapist have made me more confident, clearer in my intention, and more centered in my spirit. That is why I am elated that we are sponsored by BetterHelp, where you can, from wherever you happen to be right now, match with a therapist tailored to your exact needs. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. Someone who you can text at any time and schedule online for either a chat, Zoom, or phone call. And if it turns out that your therapist isn't the right fit, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional cost. Visit the link in the show notes, betterhelp.com, when they were young, to get 10% off the first month. You need to click the link in the show notes in order to get the 10% discount. I want to see you win, beloved. Let's do it together. Visit the link, betterhelp.com, when they were young. How how do you find your center? So do you find your you saying that she's not been around you, but you've you've emotionally, mentally, spiritually connected with her? Is the knowing that she's not physically on this earth? Then you're talking about that shift. So if you hadn't known, do you think it would be that spiritual disconnect that you think you're feeling? If nobody had told me that she had passed away, I think I would have felt that disconnection because. Mm ill at certain times I would call and just say hey what's going on with my mom something's off you know mm-hmm. so I would feel it but it's it's just like I don't know it's and I'm wondering if this is my um spiritual journey that I have to go through now like what is it, what does it mean to I keep keep asking myself the question what does it mean that I don't have my bio mom around. And I was blessed enough to have my bio mom for eight years before I was adopted. Mm. And I saw her regular, uh, regularly, which a lot of adoptees, especially from international adoptees, don't get the chance. Get that chance, right. To do that. And so um, she created a foundation for me. She cre- She gave me a purpose. She gave me meaning. She gave me all like the identity and all of that. Mm. um, I'm a beautiful soul. Um, I have meaning. I have purpose in the world. Lovely. And when I got adopted, it was how do I maneuver inside of the whiteness that's around me, you know? Mm. And then as I'm learning on how to maneuver, maneuvering, I'm asking myself, am I still enough as a Haitian, am I still enough for the white community? You know, and then I started creating self-doubt. Got it. And then I, because I now had to redefine who I was. And is my purpose the same as what it initially was when my mom sent me off to be adopted? Yeah. yeah. People underestimate the legwork of that redefining right? Mm -hmm. Because that is something that I have been doing for a great majority of my life, redefining family, redefining what it means to be Haitian, what it means to be Black, because all of those things seem to be on trial depending on what group you occupy. 
until you get to a place where you center yourself in the knowledge that, no, I define it. Mm-hmm. You cannot say that my life's journey is is titled a certain thing. You cannot yeah. deem it to be less than or more than because of my conditioning. And, and as I said earlier this year, our conditioning informs. It is not an indictment. And for people to judge us on things that we cannot control, we could not control being adopted mm-hmm. at age four and nine. We could not control the person and family that adopted us. And we could not control the communities we were brought up in. Mm-hmm. And so, it, I mean, it makes sense that you seem to be still in this chamber of, of denial or shock, right? Mm-hmm. Which happens in grief when you're grieving mm-hmm. something. And, and I am still in shock myself mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. And then sometimes I move into the chamber of just understanding and and just acceptance of it. But I I did not have a close relationship mm-hmm. with my grandmother in the way that you did as being her child. And, but the way that it impacted me was because she it was the only person that I remembered from the orphanage from the time I was four and was the only person when I returned to Haiti at age 13 and 26, who did not ask anything of me, but to hold my hand. Oh, wow. And that was huge as an adoptee because people are constantly requiring our love, demanding our, our attentions, demanding our indebtedness. And she did not want anything. And even my mom who, donates money and is on the board of the U.S. Foundation for the Children of Haiti always commented that everyone else, all of my other family members who would come to the orphanage when she was working there to uh, check in would want something, need something, which makes sense. I totally get it. And I do not, I do not resent anyone because I cannot imagine the hardships that people, my siblings grew up in. I cannot fathom that, right? So I'm I'm not going to judge them because their need was different from mine or the same in some ways, right? Because I I experienced hardships that they can't fathom either. Right. right? And so it it's it's an interesting interesting thing processing it as an ad- adoptee and giving yourself space to process it because of this looming sense of guilt that we might have that that our grief will affect our adoptive family. Mm. And I, I did do some pulling away from my mom yeah. to give myself space. And my mom kept on texting me like, oh, I'm just checking in. And I, and I was just like, I just <laughs> need space. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not going to grieve this with you. Right. And that needs to be okay. Oh. Well, let me, oh, I was going to say that was very important. So you said the word grief. And one thing that really um, impacts me doing my adoption work, as well as personally, is the fact that so many adoptive families don't allow adoptees to grieve Grieve. their own biological families when they're coming into this new world, you into this new family, this new identity, this new culture. They don't allow them to do that. And then when 
somebody like your bio, any bio family, it doesn't have to be your bio mother like myself, passes away. So many people are like, well, why do you grieve her when you didn't grow up with her, when you didn't know? Mm. You know, like they don't understand that adoptees, regardless of the relationship. Yes, I was blessed to have a good relationship with my bio um, mom, but there's so many adoptees who fantasize, fantasize. Thank you about <laughs> their bio family. So mm-hmm. they pass away before that actually happens. They have to grieve and let go and figure out what that means to them. Because when somebody, when your bio family passes, regardless if you're adopted or not, it's like the movies where your whole past life <laughs> flashes. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at not only the impact of that person, but also your own view of yourself. Am I where I want to be at this age? Did I make that person happy? Did, um, did I make them upset? Um, what could I have done differently? I wonder what this person would have fit in my life, you know, or how fit better. There's so many questions that surfaces. And I think for me, I just want, I, I, I want adoptive family members, not just the parents, but family members to just, like you said, just ask them, hey, where are you? Where do you think you are at this moment in the stages of grief? And of course, we know now Kubler-Ross, you don't go in order, you know? So mm-hmm. First, you're bargaining. First, your anger, then your bargaining. Then you go through um, acceptance, you know? And um, what are the other two? Shock. Uh, shock. Well, denial. No. denial. It's not denial. linear. Whatever it is, it's not linear. It's not. So. Yeah, yeah, so I think I've come to accept it, but my soul has not, if that makes sense. And is there a time period for that? I mean, there's nothing that says, I, I don't know. I don't know that you have put a time period on, on what your grief can look like. For me, I um, think this, this, is, this is going to be in, this is going to be a lifelong impact, just like how adoption yeah. lifelong impact. And I think it goes back to what Lenise was saying is my mom truly accepted me a hundred and fifty percent and I can honestly I honestly feel like she's the only person except for maybe my son but even my son when he gets into it becomes a teenager he's gonna push me away you know mom stop doing that (laughs) naturally yeah but she was I think she's the only person I truly believe who accepted me 150 percent just the way I was and it was just enough for her and she didn't want anything in return except for my presence. I'm so curious about that because as I was thinking about your mom, I, what first of all, I just want to say, um, what is your mom's name? So her name what is, is your mom's Angel- name. It's Angelia. So it's like Angel. With Angelia. And it means messenger of God. Angelia. So often when we give birth and we have babies, it's outside of our control. We, our identities um, become the mother of. We wanted to make sure that we identified her by name. And also I was curious as I was thinking about it, how do you think she got to be the way she was, right? She, you said this is very different, you know, in, in the way she was. She didn't ask for anything. She didn't pull anything from you. She gave to you. H- how did she learn that? Where do you think she got that from? Well, I, I yeah, Lenise, thank you. Well, I identify two different kinds of poverty. There's one where 
people feel a sense of you owe me this because mm. you're more than me. Yeah. And, and so there's a guilty guilting that happens. Right. And, and I get that from my siblings a little bit and, mm. and from other relatives. And then there's a second kind where there's a deep sense of pride in who they are and they want to earn it. Got it. And when I was in Haiti, I encountered both whenever I go anywhere, like it, it that exists anywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and people need to understand that uh, poverty is actually three doors down from you. It's not in some other country or continent or hemisphere. It's actually mm-hmm. in your neighborhood. God. And this mentality is everywhere. When I was in Haiti, I would get braids. We would figure out how to, um, to give money to those who had that sense of pride, who would not just take handouts. Mm -hmm. And so they would do our hair. We would give them a task or something like that. And I imagine that my grandmother was was the latter of having a deep sense of pride and dignity. And and if she got money, she wanted to earn it. She, She wanted to feel that it was a transaction that she could respect herself in. And, and it takes a lot, right? Because we as humans kind of oscillate from, from either spectrum. Some people live more in one than other, but because I know like in undergrad, I was like, mom, like pay for my rent and pay, you know, all of these things because I felt deeply in a scarcity mode. But as I learned to take pride in myself and take pride in working for something and the transaction of earning it, mm-hmm. then I, I, I really was deterred by handouts. Mm-hmm. So that's just my hypothesis. It may be completely wrong, but, but that's just what I sensed from her because she never asked for money, even though she was just as in need as anyone else that we ran into Mm-hmm. And um, and she had a sense of pride in the house that I saw. I visited the house that she lived in when I was 13. And she showed us around like with a deep sense of pride. And oh, even God. though there was like a latrine five yards away and and there it was like cement floors and there was mm-hmm. it was just one room without a door, you know, but she had a deep sense of pride because it was clean um, and tidy, and we sat in bed, and she prayed over me, mm-hmm. and and she was proud of this home that she had built. Yeah, it was hers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she earned it, and she yeah. took care of it. Yeah, and then the other thing is, she's very much communal kind of person, and I'm like that too. You know, so she's, and it could be maybe she, because she had so many kids, <laughs> so many children, but she always wanted to know. Um, the whole, let's look at the whole system. So she Mm. seldom thought of just herself. She wanted to make sure everybody was okay, you know? Um, So if she had a little bit, she would want to share it with everybody else. If she didn't have enough, Mm. it was less likely that she'll take it or she'll just go ahead and give it to somebody, you know? Um, And it's a, it's a strength and a weakness. And I thought Lenise explained it very well. And the way it is a weakness is um, I know sometimes my husband or um, like a family has given me something. And if I can't use it, or if I don't find a purpose for it, I'll give it away. Mm-hmm. And 
like that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. he's, he wants me to have more pride and his gifts, and he wants me to take more ownership, more, um, more, he wants me to be more possessive. And she was not possessive at all. Um, and I think a lot of the people who I've reunified with, my biological family who I've reunified with, um, both siblings as well as nieces and nephews, they're minimalist as well. Mm. So we're not into um, materialistic things, you know? Our biggest possession is more peace, relationships, family, right? Would you say, Lenise? Yeah, well... I think I, I'm kind of treading the cusp of that because I love, I think it's so beautiful and poetic that you say, say our biggest possession is our family. And this morning I had, uh, I was on a Zoom call for my grandfather's 90th birthday and mm-hmm. And my heart started to palpitate a bit because I, I was just not used to that. And then my mom, who was leading the Zoom, um, and I was seeing all of these relatives that I didn't even recognize, you know, I I still have work to do when it comes to family. Yeah. It comes to being possessive of them, owning them, owning the commitment of them. Mm. Because mm. I, I have spent a great majority of my adult life fleeing from the reality of my situation, which is that I have felt alone. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I want to ask too, what made you decide to want to have this conversation on this platform and what is your intention? You know, what do you want the folks listening to really take away from this conversation? And what do you think it has to, to lend you in this space of your own healing? Well, for Both me, I feel like Lenise has created this space in which adoptees feel very comfortable and sharing yeah. stories and um, sharing and giving voice to their meanings. Mm-hmm. And often, as she mentioned, in our families, we have to dilute our thoughts, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it's to please those around us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, most the people who are the closest to me know I'm very much free-spirited, um, I'm definitely one of those where I would mind streaking somewhere just for fun. If it was, no, well. mm-hmm. but I can see that. I can see yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, the way how most people see me is I have my turtleneck on, you know, I'm covered up to my knees because also I was taught to be like that, you know? So, mm. so I keep on finding myself living inside of other people's worlds. Oh my gosh. You remember there was one birthday. I don't know, Lenise, if you know this, there was one birthday that Dean, Dean's had a birthday and I was so proud of her. She had been on this fitness journey and um, she's just, you know, killing it in beast mode on, on her journey. And I put up a picture of her just like in her um, sports bra and her, you know, she's pumping her, her muscles and she looks so fit and strong and confident and she immediately texted me like that down off of Facebook. <laughs> you know, you have to find another picture. I don't care if you put it on IG, but 
get it off of Facebook. And and I that was the first time I felt like she wasn't, you know, like she was different. Like I, I felt like this is how I see you. This is how I want. Yeah, I, want, I, I think other people see you this way, too. But the fact that she wanted to preserve um, a certain identity that and, and protect um, a certain image from being, uh, I guess, I don't know, um, damaged or yeah. whatever. You know, she then I felt that you allowed yourself to quiet in the space of your strength. And that was just very different for me to observe of you. And so I was shuffled around my phone. and found a new picture, which I don't think represented who I thought you were in the moment. Um, so that when you said that, I, I think do you think still think you have to do that? Oh, yeah. I stay like, I, I mean, I praise people and I'm always encouraging people, hey, you know, if somebody thinks your light is too bright, tell them to wear shades. But mm. I have to stay under the radar. And that example that it also cost me my um, relationship with my fitness with Xander, actually, because he did the same thing. I was wearing a two-piece b- bikini just so I, so he had a, um, pre and a post and he tagged me. I was like, oh my goodness, it's gonna get me so much trouble. So mm-hmm. I tagged myself. And since then he, I mean, he still wants my money, of course, because it is business. <laughs> but um, he doesn't talk to me or reaches out to me like he used to because he saw that as weird, but I never told him I was adopted, you know? So he doesn't know the right. story. So I, I often feel like that, unless of course I'm with my girlfriends. And get loose. That's when, like, they're coming next week for my birthday. And I'm so super excited because other than that, I have to, I have to act a certain way. I feel like 98, 99% of the time. And hmm. yeah, that's. Well, I just want to challenge that because I'm trying to challenge that Thank within you. myself. Yeah. You know, this idea of us having to act a certain way, because just within this last year, I am having a rumbling Mm. in my soul about what it means to hold up this persona, this monument of how people perceive me, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is incongruent with how I perceive myself. And I had this Mm -hmm. conversation with a girlfriend yesterday when I had lunch with my one of my girlfriends hey Janae how's it going (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she was just like aghast and agog that I get nervous you know Mm. before I do uh, any kind of performance I literally like want to poop myself (laughs) and Mm. and, like run away and and get into a, a dark hole um and she's like, really? I would have never guessed that. And I'm like, well, you know, I hide it because I feel like I have had to hide it. Yeah. In order for people to accept me, to love me, and to find worth in me. And mm-hmm. I just want to challenge that within myself. And that's one of the things that I'm challenging uh, the listeners because the reason why this conversation is so important is to show a bit of vulnerability that I'm perfect, that I, that I have sticky, messy derailments in my life is it's so healthy for me to be put in situations like this that I can't necessarily control 
but mm-hmm. I have to show up to. And this right. is living. And, and I'm really trying to dismantle the idea in my life with the people around me, especially with my adoptive family, the, the person that they think that I am so that I can become the person that I need to be. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is so hard for adoptees. A lot of adoptees have this kind of perfectionist mentality mm-hmm. of having to be a certain way. And I totally get it, Juliana, because I would have taken those pictures down because I have body dysmorphia. And I, and I think that my body is like, is completely different from what it is. I told you, I think a few weeks ago that I ordered three things online and all of them were too big. I was like, what size am I? (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea what size I am, you know, because in my head and it's, and it's a miracle that I didn't plummet into any kind of uh, eating disorder, being a dancer, but because my body dysmorphia is so, is so strong. It's like, Mm. I have no idea who I am and what I look like because I was raised in a white community and Mm. taught that I was not as pretty as the blonde girl next to me because um, I was taught that my body was not the correct body because it Mm -hmm. may have had some extra shape. And so I'm working through that within myself. And I'm just wondering... Juliana, what it is that you want to keep from the other sector of your life when you take down the the bikini shots and the fitness shots? Is it more about the adoption um, aspect of it or is it more about your perception of your body? It's definitely more of the adoption because like what the picture border is talking about, um, well, I know a couple of them because I, I was killing it. I'm not going to lie to you. And I look good in all of that, but you sure did. Of pleasing my adopted families because mm. my whole modesty. Mm. I was, and this, this is actually an improvement is because now I'm talking about it and I'm able to say the reasons why I do the the things that I do before I didn't even have that voice. And this is why I keep on saying why I like your podcast is because it is, you're teaching us to have a voice, you know, you're, te- you're encouraging us to identify things within ourselves, Increasing the volume on the voice. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So the more I listen to the podcast and I hear everybody's voices, it gives me almost like um, a shot of courage, of course, a shot of confidence, you know, a, a shot of like self-esteem. Because honestly, even though I don't know some of the other people who are speaking, I hear, I can find a connection. I hear their stories. I feel their stories. I there is a common that. thread. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah, and Always. So then mm-hmm. I want when I want to live, I want to live out there not only for me but also the people who don't have a voice. And that's also why I went to the field for the to be a voice for the voiceless and um, for those who are orphans um, because I do have um, adoptive siblings with special needs. So I want mm-hmm. to speak for them, but yet I didn't know how to speak for myself. You know, but now I can say most of the things that I do. It's again, I'm trying to. Cre- live inside of this bubble that 
from my adoptive um, parent side. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and um, I know I can't be as free as I want to be. And I've come to accept that as well, because at least I can speak about it and I can share about it. And I know even like recently, it was myself and I had um, my adoptive cousins there, my parents, and I wore something tight, you know? And like you said, I had extra curves. And they brought up the fact, like, it's a little bit tight. And I was like, yeah. And I said, you know, um, next time you can come and help me decide. So I even like um, put it back on them or sometimes I'll be like, oh, you don't like all of this. So I joke with them as far as like this. this is good. And I've come to terms with who I am, what my body looks like, and they have to deal with it. But a lot of it is modesty. So I, I generally don't, there's rules. Just like when you when you go into um, like um, Prince, Princess Marco, there's rules as far as what you can wear and you cannot wear. Like no bra step, straps can be shown. I can do a little bit off the shoulders right here. But mm-hmm. even now, it, like if we were to take a picture, my mom would be like, are you naked? Right. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. So there's, so I know like what kind of pictures I'm supposed to take and to me, I've come to accept, like, if there's rules over there with um, with Prin- Princess Markle, hey, I can live by these rules as long as I know the reason why I'm choosing to follow them. And before I really mm. couldn't tell you. So that was a great question that you asked me. Mm. That's really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, but, um, yeah. And I talked about the orphanage. I want to sort of come back to that a little bit um if you don't mind um what do you think it was like for well what do you think um came to mind your mom's mind when you were in the orphanage my mom i i can't answer that directly since i'm not her but what i can tell you is she's just a loving person so she just wanted to make sure i was alive and i was healthy and i was well and i went into a home that was Bible believing, you know, um, Christian family. So to her, as long as she got to see me, she saw me every day because she decided to work at the orphanage. And I was the only one out of 10 kids who was put up for adoption, you know? So to her, that's what I'm saying is I never had a sense of abandonment, which she was there with you the whole time. She was there with me the whole time. She would read to me at nighttime and all of this. Wow. You asked earlier, what is the, what do I want the listeners to get out of this? What I want the listeners to understand is first of all, often we have this mindset that some of our biological family give us up. That's not always the case. Right. It's because when we say, oh, they just give up, that sounds like, you know, they're not interested in us. They didn't want us. There's times when they wanted us, but they could not keep us alive or they could not take care of us. The thriving of it all. Yeah. Yeah. So I say, especially again, when we're trying to figure out the pieces of why we were adopted, hold on to something that's positive. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go to like, they give up on me because that's a negative trait. And then you as an adoptee or not, but you may start thinking other people may not want you. And you may start doing what a lot of us adoptees do, which is self-sabotage relationships. 
I think what you're bringing up some myths, right? That we talked about on mm-hmm. Mythbusters over last summer um, on Lenise's program. When we mm-hmm. talked that you had that series, Lenise. And I remember in that moment having those conversations, I came to the understanding that, you know, our families, uh, biological families, it's not a necessary giving you away. You gave me away, but gave me a way, right? Yes. A way to thrive, a way uh, out, a way to be and become and I I feel that that clicked for me I said it but it really clicked for me in a different way when we had that Mythbusters conversation last summer so thank you for that opportunity um the conversation just swelled, you know yeah and it really was transformative um in the way that you then get to reconceptualize giving away yes and then the other thing I also want adoptees to get out of this is there's so many people I know who, mm-hmm. as of adoption loyalty, who don't want to mm-hmm. search for their biological family until their yeah. family have passed, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and that sometimes it's too late. So I just want you to network or find a group of people where you can find your courage, you can find your strength. And look, if that's what you want to do, because the research shows over 80% of adoptees search. So start looking before it's too late. And as Lenny says, I'm encouraging you to have the voice to ask for help in the search. Mm-hmm. But when did you decide to search? When did you decide to search? And did that, did you know the um, challenges emotionally, physically, mentally that would come with that? Well, you didn't know, but what, I, what I was did. that like? Did you I know? Did. Okay. So I knew all the challenges. I knew the plus. I knew all of that because, first of all, I, I work in the field. I'm a certified mm-hmm. counselor. And then I read um, Rhoda's, Rhoda's book. And the book is in their voices. And mm. chapter about reunification. So it talks about the good, the bad, the ugly of reunification. So I read that. And um, I used to daydream that, hey, I'm going to go to Haiti. My parent, my mom is going to be much better because I already knew my my father had passed before I left Haiti. Um, um, I, I, yeah, I dreamt that there was going to be all this table of food and all of this. And then after I read Rhoda's book, I was like, wait, there's a chance that she may have nothing, you know? Right. And right. then um, in the book also said, there's sometimes when you reunify and the family wants nothing to do with you. And then I had your, you and I had Terry to say, okay, well, let's talk about all these scenarios. So um, I did do a lot of role play. You know, um, let's say, yes, she wants you, but you may have, she's really ill, you know, and you're going to yeah. her or you may have to send all this money. What are you going to do in this situation? And there was sometimes when he brought up things and I was like, no, that doesn't apply to me. I, I can feel it. <laughs> and like, nobody yeah. knew what, I, what I meant by that. Um, the way it went is once I moved to Florida and I ran across all these Haitians because there's a little town called Little Haiti um, down in Miami. There are people where I told, my, I told my mom's name. They're like, oh yeah, we know her. We know her. We can help you, but it's going to cost you like $75 one way, you know? So they want to charge me. And I'm like, nah, mm-mm, this doesn't feel right. So I never paid anybody to to help me find my mom. 
Um, even though I had a good three or four people who wanted to help me, but they wanted payment um, because I said, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. And then um, I heard the lady who ran the orphanage, her name was Gladys, lived in North Lauderdale. Then um, I had Facebook and then I reached out to her on Facebook and then come to find out her mom lived in Fort Lauderdale and she was back and forth between Fort Lauderdale and Haiti and all these other places so she could keep the orphanage going. So I went, met Gladys's mom. She told me about how my mom was the last time she was in Haiti. And um, she's like, yeah, I'll get the phone number for you. I got the phone number for her. And I'm telling you, when we spoke in the phone, I had like tears all over my face because she greeted me like she had just won the lottery. Mm. (laughs) And she was loud. She was boisterous. She just like we we had an interpreter and I um, back in the days um, they were giving free access to Haiti by telephone. So you had to get the phone cards. And we would have like five minutes, 10 minutes, but really mm. like 45 seconds, remember? Even when you go yeah. to Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's how the phone calls That's where the were. codes come from. You know, this. Yeah. Fast and in a hurry. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she, so um, we were talking a little bit, but she, her just her joy in finding me, mm. me like an excess amount of energy for like the rest of the week, the rest of the month, you know? Because yeah find somebody who wants you who's been yearning for you she's like i've been praying for this day to come like she Mm. wanted it more than i wanted it it's just isn't it amazing when you want it so bad but then somebody else wants it even want you more yes it just means and to imagine isn't that unfathomable right Mm -hmm. to think that you know, even with the discourse that we go through, that someone could want us more than we even could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And somebody wants us oh, more right? than we want ourselves. And more than we want ourselves. Yeah. And that sense of belonging, that sense of you belong, you are enough, you are wanted, you are yearned for. Um, I think that's so beautiful and so rich and not unpacked enough. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. And I, I know that, it's rare that I feel that from people mm. and, and maybe it's because I have desensitized myself to that mm. sensory of being able yeah. to detect it, you know? Yeah. But for me, I, it's tricky because I do think that uh, my adoption was never a mystery. So we had always planned to go back to Haiti to reunify at age 13. And so I I wasn't equipped. I was not, I had no idea how it was going to go down. And like many adoptees, I fantasized about it. And I thought that I would have that just like jubilant experience that Juliana described. And I didn't have that because my side of the family is a bit more stoic. (laughs) They're just, you know, my mom, I don't know if I've ever seen her smile with her teeth you know, and she's just very hard. And, and, and I think that's why I was drawn to my grandmother was because she, there was a softness to her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and an ease, you know, that allowed me in, but I was ill-prepared for the reunification. And that's something that I want to stress for adoptive parents that, uh, that there is, 
ways to prepare a child that doesn't feel coerced, that doesn't feel contrived, and it doesn't feel premature because I think it's important to allow the child to, and you both know more about this than I do, but this is just my intuitive, you know, musings of let the child lead in the reunification because I just had a conversation with an adoptive mother who is in contact with the biological mom and hopes that her four-year-old will someday grow up and and meet the mom. And I feel that when we're pushed to these certain circumstances before our emotion has caught up to what's happening, Mm. just, it's a lot. Like I know when I was 13, it was a lot. When I was 26, it was a lot. And it just became slightly okay (laughs) a few years ago. You know, and that took a lot of work that I did on myself to prepare just my heart and and know my boundaries so that I didn't feel overwhelmed. I didn't feel taken advantage of emotionally, financially, all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And and not triggered. So there's just there's so many aspects to it. But it it is something that and I agree, Juliana, that that don't wait to, to seek those answers. If you're an adoptee, um, seek those answers as soon as you can so that you have, so that you have like the framework for who you want to become next, you know, because like it's a defining moment to meet your biological family and, and you then can figure out, okay, how am I going to navigate this relationship? How does this relationship inform my other relationships that are more established, like all of those things I'm negotiating right now um, in my older age. And I, and I wish that I had been equipped so that I, I didn't have to do all this work later on in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up too. So make sure you have somebody to process this whole step with, whether it be a professional you know, a therapist, or maybe it's a coach, but uh, even a best friend, if they know what kind of questions to ask. But think about all the scenarios that could possibly happen that so you could prepare yourself emotionally from an emotional level, because it's a lot. Even if it's a positive experience, it can still be a lot, because then like, how do you talk to your adoptive family about it? Are they going to be excited for you? Are they not going to be excited because sometimes um, you think they're going to be excited. They're like, I don't even know why you reached out to them because we've given you enough love, you know? Yeah. And yeah, there's some who are very bitter when you try to um, connect with your biological family. So there's a lot of steps that's involved actually in reunifying. And this is something that I want adoptees to really think about, and especially the adults now. And um, we're seeing more and more deaths and tomorrow is not promised. So just write down if it's part of your vision board, if it's part of your goal, what are your intentions? What are your goals that you hope to get out of the reunification? You know, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't go out like that, what's your plan B? You know, what are you hoping to get at least a minimum from that? From it? Do you have a support system who's going to be there with you and for you? Mm, I think the support system, the relationship, you. Mm-hmm. you know, I, and I think as we're 
talking, I'm envisioning, you know, how some people show you pictures and say, you know who this was and who that was in the picture. And you really are like, I don't know any of these people. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I have no idea. And this auntie loved you so much. And this uh, cousin used to carry you in the arms and things like that. And you have no recollection, no memory. And you have to have, I think it would be useful to have people in your life that can usher you through that journey and those mm-hmm. narratives that you trust that can help you prepare yourself a little bit better, like you said, Lenise, um, through the process of reunification and reconnecting and remembering yourself in a way that only the vision of your mom remembers you or the vision of your cousin or, you know, remembers you. So I think that's super important with that, you know, that the partnership of people who can witness with you on your journey of reconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so... And pace, oh, I just want to also say pace yourself too and that whole yeah. process. Because for Lenise and I, we started out strong and then it halted, you know, and then we restarted again. So whatever it takes, it doesn't have to be a sprint. It doesn't have to be a marathon. It's not linear, right? Yeah. We said said earlier, it is the way it is for you, Mm -hmm. what you can expect. I think that part of like getting it, you know, being overwhelmed, knowing your body, knowing your boundaries and learning them as you go and voicing them in the ways that you feel the most comfortable and freeing to do is important. Um, As we're thinking about sort of wrapping up, um, what do you, how do you want to remember your mom and how do you think she would want to be remembered? And when I ask the question, how do you think, how do you want to remember your mom? And I want to say, how do you think Angelica? Angelia. Angelia. Angelia mm-hmm. would like to be remembered. So naming her in the way I think she would want to be remembered too. Oh, I can tell you, I can definitely tell you how she would want to be remembered and how I want to remember her. That may take me a second. So how she would want us to remember her is honestly by the fruit of the spirit. Mm. She wants us. Um, so there's a verse in the Bible um, that's from Galatians 5, 23. She wants people to be able to say she was loving, joyful, peaceful, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. She would want people to remember her. And that she filled people with, oh, she gave a lot of mercy and love to other people. That's exactly. And I'll probably remember her like that. <laughs> and the other thing I'll probably remember her for is her joyfulness. And I, that's definitely something somehow I got past and I'm so glad I got it um, because I know some of the other siblings didn't get <laughs> all that joyfulness, you know, um, she could smile through anything. After the earthquake happened, she broke her leg. Mm-hmm. And when I saw her, a year after that incident, oh, actually it wasn't a year, it was um, about six months afterwards. She could barely walk, but she was giggling and laughing like she had no pain. But everybody else was telling me, you know, she's in a lot of pain. She's in a lot of pain. But she really didn't didn't state that, you know, she would only say it in a whisper. Mm. This is one thing I definitely am working on is she didn't complain too much. You know, Um, she would just always look on the bright side of things. And I've done some work in that. But um, that and the complaining, she just always wanted to focus on the positive and be joyful and spread Mm -hmm. the world. 
joy and hope. That's what you want to spread to the world. Well, a couple of things on joy and hope. And Elise mentioned this earlier, how, you know, she like this teethy laugh, this, you know, and I don't know that Lenise, that you, you don't have it. I think I've, I've been blessed enough to hear you laugh <laughs> and be joyful. And I think that's such a gift. And even knowing now, you know, what you're experiencing, what you guys have experienced, experienced um, with that challenging place um yeah so and and also I think about what a legacy if I can only imagine the looking down upon you guys and the generations that had gone before you and the generational um implications of you creating this platform Lenise and Juliana to be a part of this is such an amazing thing and to hear these voices and our voices and the deepening and the richness of it across the world. It's accessible to so many people um, and voicing and amplifying, as you say, I think this is such a wonderful leg legacy that you're building and that you've built here. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and lastly, <laughs> where can you apply courage, my love? <laughs> Well, it seems like Lenise also gave me um, a challenge too, as far as living out my truth and being more of myself, you know, in every arena. And um, even with my parents, wouldn't that be a, something if I wore like a bikini to their house or something? <laughs> but those are big steps. Yeah. Um, but I think where I could apply courage is honestly sharing probably more about my mom passing with other people because I was very um, specific and intentional who I shared it with. Yeah. And, and I think, honestly, it takes a lot of courage to share with the other people uh, who are not inside of my, like, small group that's, like, this small. <laughs> Um, because I think I honestly maybe may have shared it if they weren't family, biological family, that is, um, maybe five people. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't because um, I didn't come out to tell my parents. I told my sister and then my my adoptive sister and then she told my parents because my parents were out of town. And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I heard about it. And I said, thanks. And that's it. And we haven't really spoken about it you know they watched the funeral um and I didn't talk about it with any other adoptive family members besides my sister um my husband I spoke briefly to him about it Miles I I did a little bit we prayed together about it um and then you Nerva and Sasha yeah so I it was very small group and I know People keep on asking, like they want to know more about me, but I'm just very, I'm very friendly. Yeah. I'm just careful because I feel like that's a very intimate thing for me. Yeah, we're, we're taught to love everybody, not trust everybody. It's not even about trust because I trust a lot of people, but it's intimacy. I feel like mm -hmm. your mom's thing. Well, to me, that's, that's trust, right? To me, that like I can't be intimate with you unless I trust you. I feel the yeah. same way. And yeah. I think that 
the quote from Marianne Williamson keeps on coming mm-hmm. into my head. And she talks about how if you want peace, you have to be peace. If you want mm. love, you have to be love. Be love. And and I and that's so hard for me, right? Yeah. Because I do want love and I do want peace. And I see my behavior in certain situations. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, do you really want love and peace? You're going to do that or say that, you know? And so I have to like check myself on that level. And where I can apply courage is is in those moments of pure vulnerability with Zoom situations with my adoptive family. Mm. And and, de- and I was going to say dealing with it. Well, like just receiving. Receiving it. Receiving love is hard for me. Mm. It It just is. And I'm very private. And for me to like, put things out for some reason I feel safe with the listeners and and you both so um so I'm I feel fine you know and safety spiritual safety emotional safety is huge for me yes I do have to trust people before I can be intimate with them and and find that level of understanding where I tell you things that could essentially shift our relationship yeah and so for me, the courage resides in the vulnerability, the continued just efforts to show who I really am in all of the imperfections and and to show these moments where where there is sorrow, where there is um, uncertainty. I don't have it all figured out, you know yeah. and to, and to show people that, I am the same as you and we're working through it together. And there is no destination to this healing, to the grieving. There is no destination. Cause as you said, Borda, it's nonlinear. Uh, Some days it feels like a brick to the chest and other days you feel uh, empowered by it, inspired. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, because the final image that I have of my grandmother is her praying over me. Mm. And and I love the fact that I feel that I inherited that because I I sermonize uh, like she did, and apparently that's like in the family. So it's it's nature working its way through. I love that, you know, through the yeah. geographic yeah. obstacles and making sure that I have inherited a quality of my grandmother. Mm. I love that. And you're able to receive it. Yeah. Mm, big. Yeah. yeah she, I think she's growing more than she realizes, though. Who? You. you. Oh, me. <laughs> yeah. She's like, who? Where is that lady? Oh, where? <laughs> Nobody's in the house. It's me. I'm like, cat. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely feel it. I, I feel a shifting, an internal mm-hmm. shifting and a and a rising to, to be the person that I need to be in this moment. The leveling up is fast yeah. and it's frightening, mm-hmm. right? And we all experience yes. it a, a, in a variety of ways. But in mm-hmm. order for me to ask courage of these listeners, I have to 
I have to put my own self to the flame. Mm-hmm. You're invited. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like You're that. Invited. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Charmaine. I appreciate that. Yeah, this was great. Here are my reflections. Do you have a support system who will be there with you and for you? This conversation is what true holding space and sistership looks like. Nothing is fixed. There is no fixing. However, we will always be called to investigate and strive to increase the volume on our own voices. A wholehearted thank you to Juliana and Charmaine for their vulnerability and willingness to unpack this pivotal moment. I will continue to walk through this grief, but the sorrow is mitigated by the knowledge that I am not alone. So thank you for that. another beautiful episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to my guest today. If you liked this episode, the best way to support me and this work is to write an iTunes review, a five-star review. (laughs) This helps us reach the top of searches and helps more people to find us. And if you personally want to connect, please reach out on Instagram or Facebook. And I have some great resource material on my website at laniceantoinshelly.com. So go on over there too. Until next we meet, go gently and have courage, my love.